this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. So beautiful just to hear you all singing like that. And it's a great joy for me to introduce two of my favorite people in the world today, uh, Martin and Carrie Chapel. I got to know these guys when uh, I was a teenager, and uh, Carrie and I were in the youth group together. Martin actually, I think, was at probably a student at Virginia Tech uh, when I first got to know him well, and he was serving as an intern here. And and both of them really impacted my life because I saw in in both of these people at that time a love for Christ and just a focus on what he had called them to do. And so um, they made a great great impact on my life uh, as a a teenager. Uh, Martin uh, uh, went to Virginia Tech. Uh, Carrie went on uh, from here uh, to to Baylor. And then both of them uh, went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth uh, to study. And so uh, after a few years of pastoring, uh, they got called into Burma uh, in Southeast Asia. They were there for two years. And then to Bangkok, Thailand, where for the past 14 years, Martin has served as pastor of Calvary Baptist Church there in the middle of that teeming megacity of Bangkok. Carrie, uh, of course, is uh, uh, integrally involved in all the facets of the ministry there and in uh, uh, a special ministry to the refugees that are flooding into uh, Bangkok these days, and, and I think you'll hear more about that. Barney and Carrie have three sons, Charlie, Caleb, and Cody. Most recently, a new addition to their family, a grandson, CJ. It just doesn't seem right that you guys have a grandson. Anyway, um, but uh, they are home for a few weeks, and, and it's always so great. This is one of these couples that, that, that we are, are linked to as a church. And when you, when you think about just the influence of a local church, so just, just contemplate. Contemplate the, the people who uh, invested, some of you, who invested in, in their lives, Carrie, growing up in, in this church, uh, the people who invested in her life as a little girl and later on in our student ministry. Think about how God used our church in, in Martin's life as he served here as, as an intern. And then think about how that influence is multiplied nationally and now internationally in Bangkok and think about all the people that they're touching in Bangkok that are going to go forth to who knows where. That, that's the power of the local church that we get to be a part of. It, it's exciting uh, to contemplate. So uh, I thought it would be great for us to be able to, to hear from them. Uh, we love you guys, and it is such a blessing always uh, to welcome you home. So you guys come and share. Good morning. Always good to see you all and come back. And uh, Pastor Thurman, I have a confession to make. I would love to take your music team back with me. 
Uh, the, mu- the worship music has been great, Michael, so thank you so much for that. That has been absolutely incredible. Anyway, it is good to be here with you and uh, to, to share some time. We have, as Pastor Thurman has mentioned, had the privilege of serving with the IMB. Actually, we've served overall with IMB uh, 16 years, and uh, 14 of that has been as the senior pastor of Calvary Baptist Church in Bangkok, which is very multicultural. We get to have people literally from all around the world, uh, and that's a lot of fun. And we have thoroughly enjoyed being part of Southern Baptist missions all around the world. But if you have kept up with what's been happening with IMB life over the last year or so, you know, we've had a lot of change that IMB, just for a lot of reasons, was struggling financially and wasn't able to continue supporting 5,000 missionaries on the field the way things have been going. And so they offered an early retirement as phase one to reduce the number of missionaries we support at Southern Baptist. Phase two was just voluntarily asking people to resign and either stay in their work self-supporting or come back and find something else altogether. Well, I never guessed that 54 years old I would be offered an early retirement. But we were, and we just prayed through it and had an absolute peace. That's what God wanted for us. And we didn't know how God would work out the funding. I really honestly didn't think our church in Bangkok would be able to support our whole package, but they stepped up and said, Pastor... We appreciate what you've been doing, and we we want to cover everything. And they have. They've done a super job. So we have not needed to come back and raise support, which we were ready to do because, you know, when God says to do something, you just do what he says and let him work out the details later. And But it's been good to, to see our church in Bangkok step up, and for the first time in their history since 1958, when they were first constituted as a church, Calvary Baptist Church in Bangkok, Thailand, is 100% self-supporting, even to the point of supporting their pastor. So some very positive things there. Uh, But yeah, (laughs) praise God. So we're grateful for that. And Carrie's going to tell you just a little bit. You've heard some about our ministry with refugees. Uh, Carrie's going to tell you just a little bit about that before I get to go into the sermon. Most of Martin spends most of his time at the church excuse me, in the church office, but the ministry God has allowed me to be a part of through Calvary is our refugee ministry. Calvary is helping 120 refugee families on a monthly basis. Uh, We take them just a little food, two bags of food, um, not even enough for a week, just a few staples to help them. But what we really take them is Jesus and hope. Um, They're hidden in many corners, small rooms around the city trying to hide from the immigration police. And so um, they're living in poverty, they're living in fear, a lot of helplessness, hopelessness. And so we take them food and we take them Jesus. And we remind them that they're not forgotten, that we know where they are, but more importantly, God knows where they are. And um, of the, the 120 families we worked with, we've, uh, we narrowed it down to these 120 families based on... Um, they are married with children at 18 years of age. Um, we do help some other families almost daily. We have people coming to the church um, asking for help. So it's a very um, tough ministry. It's, it's very difficult to tell someone, no, I can't help you, when they're standing in front of you and they have hungry children. It's quite a desperate situation for a lot of these families. But we see God at work. We work with um, 
mostly Pakistanis, some are Christians, um, some are not, and some are Muslims. Um, but they've all fled Pakistan because of um, persecution, and we listen to their stories. They've, um, one family, even their six-year-old child, was murdered in front of them. So just horrible um, stories of um, things they've suffered because um, they're Christian or because they're the wrong kind of Muslim. But we've seen people come to faith. We are seeing people grow in their faith, and we're thankful that God um, allows us to be part of it. I'm thankful I get to be a part of it. Um, we appreciate your prayers. We appreciate the teams you send us. Um, the folks that were out last year know exactly what I'm talking about when I say small rooms hidden around Bangkok. It's a, it's a huge city, and um, they're spread out. Um, sometimes I drive an hour one way just to get to a few of the families. But um, we appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your um, support. And I, I always just have a special place in my heart when I walk in here and I see Sunday school teachers um, from when I was growing up. Um, the way you invested in my life, um, I was trying to do the math. How many years ago was 1982? 34 years ago. And yeah. on a Sunday very much like this, I just graduated from high school. And there was a Southern Baptist missionary from France speaking when I came forward. God called me to mission. So it was uh, in this church um, 34 years ago that God, I felt very strongly God calling me to mission. So I'm very thankful for this church. Um, and thankful for the women to, um, now, there's a group of women. Every month I know one of them is going to send me an email and say, Carrie, what's happening? We're getting ready to have our circle meet and we want to pray for you. Um, so I'm very thankful for that. And just as a little quick side note here, you can take that with you. I'll knock it off or something. As a quick side note, part of the reason for our coming back to the States this time, to celebrate 30 years of marriage to the greatest lady around. So... Little did I know when I came to First Baptist Church in 1981 to work for Trudy Horton as a summer youth intern that I would get a wife out of that deal. Man, that worked out better than I thought. Okay, as we get into the time of the message, let's uh, pray, please. Father God, I am grateful for the opportunity you're giving to be able to teach and preach your word. And I recognize that uh, that is an important thing because it's your truth and it's your time. It's not mine. And I just ask that you will help me to move off to the side and give you the very center that you deserve, that we will focus on you and focus on what you have to teach us. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we have been through a lot of change uh, this past year. And I think probably everyone here can relate to change. Yes, one of the things of life that doesn't change is it changes all the time. And sometimes when change comes along, it's really hard to deal with. And it feels like at times our, our world just gets turned upside down and inside out. And the thing is, when those changes come, like we've had to deal with you know, retiring and finding a different way of doing ministry uh, apart from IMB, you know, it, you think through, well, why am I doing what I do? And how do I keep doing what I should be doing? And what is the constant in life? What do I go back to during those times of change when everything is, is up in the air? What do you look to for the constant? And so it, 
it's been a good time for us to think back through and, and reconsider while we are in Bangkok, Thailand, and to think about what God has for us. And through that process, God gave me a number of Bible passages, actually, about, uh, about three different ones that have been very meaningful. I want to share one of them with you this morning that I think will help all of us as we think about life and think about the changes and things that go on with life, but of finding that, that truly deep meaning in life. And one of the things that I hear over and over, even all, all the way literally on the other side of the world, people seeking happiness. And we're going to look at a passage from the Psalms today, Psalm 37, looking at just the first four verses mostly, where David talks about that idea of happiness, seeking happiness versus seeking God. And interestingly, seeking happiness and seeking God are not the same thing. And that's what David has to teach us this morning as we look back to his life and some things that he wrote about and things he experienced We can see a lot of commonality with us today so many years later. But as always, it's God's truth, that God teaches us bedrock foundational truth that does not change with changing ages, changing societies, changing cultures, changing ideologies. Anything you want to think about, God's truth will stay the same no matter who you are or where you're from. We just need to learn to apply it to where we're at in life and use those same foundational principles. And that's what we're going to look at with David. And that whole idea in in this quest for happiness in life, of trying to understand the difference between seeking happiness and actually seeking God the way David is going to lead us to do. But I'd like you to take a look with me in Psalm 37. And we're going to look at uh, especially the first four verses. Here's what it says. Here's some of the truth that David learned and he passed on to us. He said, Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. As you look back through that, particularly at uh, verse 1, David is saying, you know, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. So he's, he's talking about people doing wrong. And the thing is, David felt like he was just surrounded by evildoers. <laughs> I think all we have to do is open up the Internet and look at Google News or whichever news site you like to look at. I guess there's really no need to even mention newspapers much anymore most people go straight to the computer now, but do you feel like you're just surrounded by people doing wrong sometimes? It sure does to me. Uh, No matter where we look in the world, there seems to be just plenty of that. And that's how David felt. David felt like he was just surrounded by wrongdoers. Well, we need to step back a little bit and think, well, who was David talking about? I think there's all kinds of wrongdoers, all types of things to go wrong. But who was David specifically talking about? Well, I want to, I hope and I'm sure, absolutely certain, reinforce a principle of Bible study that your pastor has taught you. In real estate, what are the three most important aspects of real estate? I know you know it. Location, location, location. In understanding a Bible passage, it's basically the same thing. Context, context, context context. 
we always need to look within the Bible passages to understand what the Bible writer was saying and what he's trying to say to us. And that's what we need to do with David to understand who these wrongdoers are that David was talking about. Because David, as we read through a little bit more of Psalm 37, we see that he saw successful people living ungodly lives. I mean, take a look at verse 7. David said, first of all, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. But then the second part of that verse is what caught my attention. He said, fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. And then skipping down to verse 14, he continued that thought, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. And actually, David has woven that same idea throughout Psalm 37, but he is helping us to understand that these people are being really successful at whatever they're doing, but they are evil people doing wrong because they have no desire to follow God, no desire to follow godly ways, and not only that, but they're drawing other people with them, or, as we see, that they are taking great advantage of the weaker people, and of godly people. So that's who David is talking about. And he said very specifically not to be angry or envious of them, of those people. I mean, very pointedly. Let's think about that for just a minute, for the anger. The anger over these people, these evildoers, as David would call them. Why do we get angry with them? I think because they get away with anything. They do whatever they want to do and just seem to keep on doing it. Things are okay. They don't suffer the consequences that we say, if I were to do that, boy, I'd, I'd catch it if I did that. And they just seem to get away with it all the time. If, and if they get caught, what happens? Just use a little money, use a bit of influence and get out of it, keep, keep right on going, doing whatever they want to do. But... You know, that's the, that's the part that we like to talk about, right? Because that's justice. You know, these people ought to get what they deserve. And we can say that, but we don't want to say as much as the other part that David warns us about. He says, don't envy them either. And that's the part that we want to kind of push away and sweep under the rug. Because when we look at these wrongdoers and, man, they are just growing and, I mean, they're going every... It's like they have the Midas touch. You know the story, King Midas, everything he touched turned to gold? These people are doing wrong all the time and it's like everything they do is turning to gold. Life seems to always go right for these guys. And we envy that. We want that. And we begin to think, Hmm. they have everything life can give. They must be some of the happiest people around. And the thing is, that is the idea that the world wants us to understand and take in as a foundational principle of life. They want us to buy into the fact, and we do, we buy into the idea that life, first of all, is about happiness. And then second of all, not only that life is about happiness, but happiness is found in success. That's what the world is trying to tell us. And that's what David is saying. 
Be careful of how you look at these other people and how you think about them. Don't envy these guys because that is not the path to true happiness. Now, there will be some happiness to it. I mean, sin is tempting because it's fun. We we need to admit that. It's fun stuff for a time. But it will come back at some point and the fun's going to end. The happiness is going to end and somebody's going to have to pay. And that's what David is trying to help us to understand. To not buy into that idea that life is about happiness, that that's the priority, that's what I need to be seeking as my greatest priority, and that if I'm successful, I'll be happy. You know, that idea is even slipping into the church, a lot into the church. Probably a lot of you are familiar, if not just about all of you, with uh, the great big ministry in Houston, Texas, Joel Osteen. If you want to see something interesting, sadly interesting, get on YouTube and look up Victoria Osteen talking about why we go to church. I was absolutely floored. I have to be honest with you. I am not exaggerating. I've grown up around people that hunt and fish. I know how to tell a story. And I know these guys, when they say, I caught the, big, the one that this big got away, I know what they meant. It was probably a little, little, you know, something like this. I'm not exaggerating. I am not making anything up. Victoria Osteen said, literally, we don't go to church to worship God. We go to church to be happy. Because God's greatest desire for us is for us to be happy. Now, that idea of saying God wants us to be happy, that sounds good and that that draws in a lot of crowds, but she has gotten things totally wrong because when I come to church, I'm coming to church because this is God's church. It's not mine. I'm coming to this place because this is where I worship my God. And He's the one that should take the very center of everything that's happening here. And the interesting thing about that is when, when we come to give God His due, Man, he's going to meet every need we've got, including real happiness. But the church is falling right along with that same idea. Man, the greatest pursuit, I need, the greatest thing I need is happiness, and if I'm just successful, I'll have it. Well, David says seeking God is the more important thing, and that if we seek God, God's going to take care of the rest of the stuff. Take a look, because David realized true happiness is only found in God when he he wrote verses 3 and 4, particularly 4. Take a look again at verse 4. David said, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. See, what David is telling us is that the starting point is God. It's not self. He says, Delight in the Lord. He doesn't say, you go out there and you seek happiness, you grab everything you can get and that you're going to be happy. That's the second thing he says, in a sense. We'll get to that in just a second. But see, David says, delight in the Lord. He's given us the very foundation of true happiness because I, I need to begin looking at God, not look at me. And man, I, 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 I will... If I were your pastor, and I tell my congregation all the time, please don't put all your trust in me, because I'm going to make mistakes. I can't do everything for you. There's no way, no way I can. But our God can. 
And so David says, put your focus on the one that will not fail you, ever. The one that will not let you down. The one that knows what truly is right and doesn't just follow the majority, which the world, you know, that's, that is the majority. But they take God's truths and turn them upside down, just like here, because the world says, you seek happiness, and then you seek God through that. Or you, you, you will find your happiness by seeking it. And God says, no. The only way to find true happiness is, first of all, delight in me, and I'll give it to you. That's exactly where he says, if you, God says, if you will just love me and obey me and give me your life, I'll give you back everything you need. And that sounds so counterintuitive to what we're taught from, from the beginning of life all the way through. Because we're saying, if you want something, you need to work and earn it. You need to get it yourself. You need to seize it. And yet, God, in what is true, says, no, give me your life. Let me take control, and I'll make everything right for you. I'll give you the desires of your heart. See, the thing is, when, when our priority is to love God, when that's our number one priority, God changes our desires. Now, I understand even that sounds like something that would be, well, you know, God's just forcing you to believe what He wants you to believe. God's just making you have those desires. No. Think about watching a, a child. I, you, you knew I'd have to find a way working and talking about my grandson, right? Did we mention that? We've got a grandson? Charlie Jr., CJ, yeah, he's 18 months old now. And we have more fun watching him running around the house and his parents cleaning up behind him. I like that part. But when there's a toddler running around the house, do you leave knives out and let them play with the knives? I mean, that's their desire. They want to. Why don't, why don't you just let them play with that buck hunting knife? Man, that would be a lot of fun. That's stupid, right? Because we know that child doesn't know enough. He's, he's going to hurt himself. Do you see my connection here? We have desires that we think are right, that's going to lead to the best, and God says, no, you don't. In fact, Jeremiah lays that out very directly. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? Jeremiah reminds us, I don't even know what my own feelings are, and so how can I seek the right thing apart from God? And that's, the point, that's one of the things that we need to come back to, is that apart from God, we tend to be self-destructive. Man, we just do so many things that hurt us, that hurt the people around us, because we, we don't know when to stop. We don't know when to do things in the right way. We hurt so many people in the process because that's what I want and that's going to be my happiness if I can just do that. And God says, no. If you will just start with me, delight in me, love me, I will change your desires into the ones that are the right desires. That's the whole point. Not that God is deceiving us. He is not manipulating us. He is not forcing us. God will never force you to be a person of faith. He does not do that. 
But he does say, if we give him our lives, he will change us from the inside out and make us into a new creation that is his, that begins to want the right things. And that's the beauty. When, when I delight in God, God changes me so that I don't get into the self-destructive behaviors that I used to think, wow, man, I've got to have that. And God protects me in some amazing, amazing ways. Now, I hear a lot of people, too, tell me, well, you know, Pastor Martin, I really love the, the New Testament. You know, that's, that's, that's my heart. Because that Old Testament, that's all that old stuff, and, you know, that doesn't even apply to us anymore. Well, let me tell you something. Please be careful with that, because I, I like what one of the uh, writers that I read last year said. He said that the New Testament is the footnote to the Old Testament. You can take any major doctrine of the New Testament and find its origin in the Old Testament. God hasn't changed. Now, he's changed how he's revealed himself to us. Yeah, we see more now than they did back in the Old Testament times. But just like this truth that when I delight in God, he's going to change my desires because he changes me, that is a New Testament truth. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I bet some of you guys even have that one memorized. Here's how it goes. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, that's what God does. He changes us from the inside out. Not just a little bit, but he changes everything about who we are. And that's the only way desires will change. But that only happens when I give myself to God and let Him be the one who's in control. Then He can change my self-destructive behaviors into godly behaviors because I'm learning from God to want the right things. You probably remember Chuck Colson, one of the uh, guys that got caught in the Watergate scandal with President Nixon in the 1970s. And when he was in prison, he got caught sent to prison, uh, he came to Christ. And later on after that, he just tremendous spokesman for Christianity, wrote some great books. He met Jack Eckerd. You might know Jack Eckerd, at least through Eckerd's drugstore chain. And uh, Eckerd had Colson go down to Florida and do some political activism. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but they were traveling around to rallies. And at each rally, Jack Eckerd would introduce Chuck Colson this way by saying, this is Chuck Colson, my friend. I met him on Bill Buckley's television program. He's born again. I'm not. I wish I were. But as much as Colson would share with Jack Eckerd, Eckerd would not come to Christ. Now, about a year later, and Colson kept up the, the communication as much as he could, Eckerd called him one day and said, you know what, just need to let you know, Chuck, I, I came to Christ, and it's real. I understand that. Now, it's easy for people to say things like that. But you know the old saying, to put your money where your mouth is? Jack Eckerd did that, literally. Because after he came to Christ, he walked through one of his stores and saw Penthouse and Playboy on the shelves and realized, you know what, as, as a Christian, I can't sell pornography. I just can't do it. And so he called his financial advisors and managers and said, take them off the shelf. And they said, uh, Mr. Eckert, are you crazy? We make $3 million every year off of that. He said, I don't care. It's not right. I will not do it any longer. 
So he gave up $3 million of, work, of profit every year for a stand for Christ. Not only that, he started writing letters to the other drugstore chains encouraging them to do the same. And they said, you are crazy, Eckert. We're not doing that. We make too much money. Do you remember what happened after that? After Eckert's pulled the pornography from the shelves, people started flocking to Eckert's because they appreciated a big chain taking a stand for good morality. And it was so much to the point that after that point, you know, Eckert had written letters trying to encourage the other drugstores to take the same action. But when they saw the response of the public, Peoples, Revco, Dark Drug, and not a drugstore, but 7-Eleven, all because of Jack Eckert. All of those pulled pornography because Jack Eckert took a stand. And that, to me, speaks tremendously that he had a change of heart. He put his money where his mouth was. And that just reminds me so much. You know, God is faithful. And God's truth is always God's truth. It is absolute truth. It doesn't change, and it will be right. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will grant you the desires of your heart because He helps our desires become His. Let me just end real quick with some challenges. I always like to challenge us because God's Word is applicable to life. It's practical. It works. Where are you looking for happiness? I mean, honestly, what is it in life that you're seeking that you think you're going to find happiness in? Now, I've told you what God's standard is, and I hope that's going to be working in your hearts this week. But reevaluate your priorities this week. Think back through who you are and what you're doing and what you're seeking, where you're seeking happiness. And let me encourage you to begin focusing more on God. And there's two easy, practical ways to do that. First of all, read in your Bible. Read more in your Bible if you're already reading. If you're not, please make sure you don't let a day go by without reading in it because it is God's truth for life. But then the other one is, is to just take time to talk to God and be honest. Tell God where you're struggling because this may be a hard idea, but it's the right idea. It, it will lead to the true, genuine joy and peace, happiness of God that will overcome any kind of issue and problem in life. It won't take away problems when you put your trust in God. God doesn't promise us that, but he does promise us his love, his faithfulness, and his presence. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time today to be challenged with your truth, and I pray that each one of us, myself included, will hear what you have said and that we will learn to trust you more and give you all of our love, to delight in you and let that be our focus and let you take care of the rest. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand and um, we're going to sing in just a moment. Maybe God's speaking to you about beginning to make Him the starting point in your life. Turning from you being on the throne of your life and making Jesus Christ your king. He's the only one who should be there. He's the only one who took the nails, who died for you, who rose again so that you can have new life. Life can begin anew in Christ. 
He's all about redemption. And He invites you to come to Him today. If you want to talk with someone and pray about that, we are here for you today. Let's sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. You are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to Him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where His love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord and who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God is doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.